Welcome to Ethics in the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. My guest today is the 1958 Research Fellow at the Stockdale Center. He recently co-edited a volume with ethicist Dr. Eric Patterson on the work of Just War scholar James Turner Johnson. Welcome, Dr. Mark Lavecki. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. We're going to talk about a lot of things, Mark, and just war, moral injury. You just put out a book, right? That's correct. Yeah, uh, with a colleague, Eric Patterson, who's a friend of the Naval Academy. He and I produced a book, an edited volume, on an old scholar named James Turner Johnson. And Jim Johnson is a friend of the Naval Academy. He's been here for the McCain Conference to speak on the teaching of just war in 2015. He has a slew of books out. He likes to take events happening in real time analyze them from a just war perspective. Uh, he's considered, in my field, he's considered the, you know, the grandfather of the historian of the just war tradition. Uh, what I love about Jim, what I think is relevant to MIDS, is that he was never content to simply deal with abstract ideas. His predecessor, his supervisor, Paul Ramsey, was another great ethicist, told him that before you start trying to talk to a field, you better ask lots of questions and listen to that field. So Jim has spent a lifetime marinating, so to speak, in the profession of arms, figuring out what the questions are that real uh, practitioners have so that he's not just speaking into the wind. And I think that's a uh, that, that's a great role model for all ethicists. Uh, we ought to be doing uh, work where life is lived. And nobody had done a book on him, and we thought it was about time that somebody had. He's still with us. He's still writing. He's still producing. Uh, he writes a lot for my magazine, Providence, the Journal of Christianity, American uh, Foreign Policy. So he's active. Uh, he's worth getting to know. Uh, and we produced the book on him. That sounds like a very timely book. One of my favorite phrases is, sounds like he's been there and done that. So uh, that's that's someone. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Let's get into the uh, subject matter today. It's about just war. Let me ask you to kind of give us a definition of that term. Sure. Uh, just war tradition. And here, I think it's, it's probably best to speak of either traditions in the plural or tradition without a definite article, because there's various streams and tributaries to this thing. But in all of them, we find a basic moral framework to help political leaders, uh, those who have the responsibility to provide and to maintain the order, the justice and the peace of a political community, to know when it's appropriate to use discriminate and proportionate military force with the intention of restoring peace, if in the last resort, nothing else will protect the innocent, restore justice, or punish sufficiently grave evil. So in that statement, I think you'll find the various core criteria broken into two general categories. These get fancy Latin phrases, the use ad bellum, which helps determine when it is right to go to war, and the use in bello, which helps guide justice uh, or just military actions within war. The core requirements have additional prudential concerns, which shape our duty in particular cases. So even if you have that just cause, prudence might dictate you don't pull that trigger for a variety of reasons. But in sum, the just war tradition is a moral guidance for peacemaking on a case-by-case basis. So let me break that down a little bit. What, what I think I hear you saying is there are times when kinetic warfare is justified. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and that's the heart of the just war tradition. Going back briefly to Jim, one of the things that he brought to the tradition is to remind us that the tradition has a presumption against injustice. That's where it, it starts. It's, it's exactly what you said. There are times where responding to an injustice is a necessary and morally right thing to do. 
For many, the tradition has come to mean a presumption against violence, as if violence is the problem. And the just war tradition is a responsive mechanism. Violence is already happening somewhere. We respond to it by first evaluating whether or not that just or that violence that's occurring is just or unjust. And if it's unjust, then we may have a slew of responsibilities in how we respond to that. So is this a legal framework? Uh, is there, you know, the, the, the world court? Is this a moral framework, an eye for an eye? Where does it fit? And, and then I want to get to the details of that framework. Yeah, no, that's an insightful question because the, the answer is both. Uh, it is a legal framework. And here I would need Jim to tell me whether or not this following statement is true. And if it's not true, he would correct me in a heartbeat. Uh, it might have been, it might be true to say that it was a moral guide before it was a legal guide. Uh, I don't know if those are, are truly distinguishable, uh, but it is a legal guide. Uh, you, you, you find the framework in various ways in international law and the law of armed conflict, etc. Uh, but it is absolutely a moral guide. It takes seriously the fact that given the conditions of history, given the conditions of the human soul, uh, there are some people and some regimes that want to push around other people and other regimes. And the classic just war tradition takes its roots from the intellectual patrimony of the West, the Greco-Roman and Hebraic, that's to say the, the Judeo-Christian traditions of the West. From the classic Christian sources, I think interestingly, we find uh, just war uh, as a moral practice grounded in love. And one place you see this is if you look in Thomas Aquinas's massive Summa Theologia, you'll find his discussion of the morality of war takes place in the middle of his very long disquisition on love and how love manifests in a conflicted world. So it is absolutely a moral guide uh, that takes seriously the fact that, that war fighting, however moral it is, is nevertheless a heavy business. It could be morally injurious to its participants. It's something that needs to be contained. It needs to be restrained where possible. Uh, but in essence, I think both from the legal and the moral uh, frameworks, just where tradition's concern is for peace, and it's all about human flourishing. Let me let me be the devil's advocate. So you're telling me that just war is about building peace. Are you just are those just words? <laughs> they aren't just words. I I uh, I became if I if I can indulge in a uh, bit of biography. Uh, my first sort of contact point with something like the just war tradition began way too long ago. But I happen to be attending the 50th anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz-Birkenau, former Nazi concentration camps in Oswiecim, Poland. And, you know, as a young kid, sort of directionless, just hanging out in Europe after college. After the formal presentation at this ceremony, they began to read the names of all the dead. And they had committed to reading the names until they had read the entire list and Assuming for a moment, and this is this is a counterfactual, but assuming for a moment that we have all of the names of the approximately 1.2 million people who died just at Auschwitz-Birkenau, and assuming that it takes a second to read a single name, uh, I worked out that if they read the entire list of 1.2 million names, it would have taken 13.8 days to read that entire list. And now you've got to understand, Michael, that when I'm at this 50th anniversary, uh, I'm having my own sort of spiritual struggles. I'm trying to figure out what I believe in the world. I'm becoming a Christian. I don't really want to become a Christian. But all of a sudden, I'm confronted with the fact that there is enormous political evil in the world, that some people mean to eat their neighbors, and that those people need to be stopped. 
and that gentler things like prayer and good conversation might have a place in helping restrain them, but that there are times uh, where some people refuse to stand down from the evil that they're doing. And when that evil is grave enough and is hurting enough people, then if they refuse to stand down, then maybe somebody needs to come and knock them down. And you knock them down, not with the aim of simply crushing them into the dust, but of attempting to restore those conditions that really alone in history allow for something that approximates peace. You need justice. You need order. Um, Without those political goods, no other political good like health or life uh, can endure with any certainty. And so given the conditions of this world, um, yeah, war is aimed at bringing about the conditions that make peace possible. Seems counterintuitive, such as life. You know, I like the way you presented that, but that takes study and it takes dedication to the ideals that just war is all about. You can't just say the words. You've got to listen to what you and others say and internalize them. Correct. Many of the people who will be listening to this presentation will be those people who will be standing up, moving to the sound of the guns, so to speak. Now, as that happens, Ed Barrett, Dr. Ed Barrett here in the Stockdale Center did do a presentation a while ago about moral injury. Can you tell me the pivot point or the balance or the connection between just war and moral injury? Yeah, absolutely. I can. Uh, And I can also do a shameless plug, if I may. Please do. Uh, Sometime in the spring, I think in June, I have a book coming out called, uh, grimly called, The Good Kill, Just War and Moral Injury. Uh, It's coming out through Oxford University Press, and it's it's basically a a version of my dissertation work. Uh, The connection between just war and moral injury uh, is at this point well documented. Um, It's the connection between war and moral injury. Back, uh, I think Ed probably talked about this. There's a, a veterans affairs psychiatrist named Jonathan Shea. Jonathan Shea was working with uh, a group of Vietnam veterans, combat veterans, uh, who had all been diagnosed with PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and as such, they you know they manifest the typical signs, sort of hyper uh, paranoia, hyper vigilance, uh, you know those sorts of responses that one would have to life threat traumas. But Jonathan Shea noticed that some of the the veterans also had uh, clusters of different uh, symptoms that didn't necessarily register with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, These symptoms were things like shame, uh, crippling remorse, uh, you know, horrific levels of sorrow, guilt, these sorts of things. So he began to dig deeper and he began to realize that he was identifying a separate set of symptoms that presumably came from a separate kind of condition. Uh, He began to notice a pattern uh, that fit with all these veterans. They had some sort of a kill in combat. And it might have been a legitimate kill of a lawful enemy taken under the laws of war. It might have been an accidental killing of a civilian. Uh, It might have been some level of an atrocity. Um, But they all had a kill in their background. And then to fast forward through uh, a, a lot of investigative work, uh, people began to recognize that there is a link that can be made between killing in combat and something that they've come to call a moral injury. And I know Ed touched on this. There's a couple different ways to define a moral injury. It could be a you know a sense of betrayal from someone in a position of authority in a high stakes situation, or and this is the the definition that I use in my book: a moral injury comes about when one does 
or allows to be done something that goes against a deeply held moral commitment. In the West, uh, at least in the West, uh, you find that many of us grow up with the presumption that killing is wrong, period. But in war, it is necessary. You know, you might not have that second bit, but most people have at, at you know at least the first bit. Uh, if you look through combat memoirs uh, and you look for some version of this phrase, you begin to see it. People grow up in church thinking that killing is something that you simply don't do. Then you get sent into combat and it becomes the metric for success. And so for some, uh, because they haven't thought through the morality of killing, a theology of killing, if you will, uh, the very business of war fighting becomes morally injurious. Mark, that is fascinating stuff. You know, um, we'll stop it right there, but I want to bring you back and talk about that connection between just war and moral injury. I think that's something that our audience clearly wants to understand because, again, we're the guys going towards the sound of the guns. That's right. No, it would be a privilege to come back. I'd be honored to. Mark, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Thanks for all your work. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu.